Welcome to Charla Cultural, a little chat about culture from Asterix Journal and City of Asylum. I'm Carla Lamb. And I'm Adriana E. Ramirez. And today we're naming ghosts with Chiwan Choi. Chiwan Choi is the author of The Flood, Abductions, and The Yellow House. Choi is currently working on a fourth book titled My Name is Wolf. Chiwan Choi is also the host of the new paranormal literary podcast, Are You There, Ghost? It's me, Chiwan. We'll start with a trailer from Are You There, Ghost? It's me, Chiwan. And then Adriana and I will chat a little bit about the relationship between ghosts and writing. After that, we'll listen to Chiwan Choi's full performance at City of a Asylum um, back in August 6, 2019. We'll transition to an interview I just did with Chiwan, some conversation from us, Adriana and I, and finally we'll get to where what we're reading and some thoughts for the road. Hey, it's season two, Carla, and we are kicking it off with an episode that is full of ghosts Ooh, and poetry. Ah, and yeah, so how do you feel? Do you feel like we have a lot of um, unfinished business, like some ghosts from the past or have you had any paranormal experiences? First off, uh, as far as experiences from the past, I feel like it's been so long <laughs> since we've been together. So it's really fun to be kicking off season two of Charla. I have missed us. Um, (laughs) so it's great now as far as paranormal experiences okay so i have to tell you something i had not really had any but then i started reading some of my journals from when i was a kid for this other project that i'm doing and i apparently was super obsessed with ghosts like all the time and i talked about seeing them out of the corner of my eye and things like that and then no joke two weeks ago i was walking in philadelphia and i turned and i swear i saw this woman with like super long straight brown hair and then i blinked and she was gone whoa that's some scary shit yes and i turned to my husband and i was like jesse did you just see this woman and i described her and he was like no but sometimes the brain does and he starts explaining some neuroscience to me and then Mm -hmm. he goes or it was a ghost (laughs) (laughs) and i swear i got chills i got chills i got chills chiwan um says like ghosts are kind of like the only thing that still exists after all of this is said and done it's like something that i got from our interview it's like that's the only thing we can really grasp is like what's left and ghosts are the only things that are left okay so i will say this i believe in ancestors the spiritual realm of things call it angels call it you know ancestors call it that kind of thing but i have to say i don't necessarily think they're like i feel like ghosts have an agenda like ghosts are here to haunt you or to terrify you or to like you know have some unfulfilled purpose or to give you a warning or something Mm -hmm. but then okay now i'm going to contradict myself because I remember when I was a kid going with my dad to France and we went to Verdun and we looked at these battlefields that were just these open, beautiful fields, just like full of flowers and stuff where we knew that during World War One, like so many people had died. Right. Oh, wow. On the field. And I had the exact same experience when I went to um, Little Bighorn. Mm-hmm. You know, where you're just looking at this ground and you know that on a random day, decades and decades or hundreds of years ago, depending, you know, on which event, 
like uh, something horrific happened. And I feel like the memory of that is carried in the land and makes it sacred in a really specific way. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if that's ghosts, but I think it might be. Right. Yeah. I don't know. Do we like label things because we're afraid of them and we need to internalize and categorize them? But I I love the idea of just like facing something that we're uncomfortable with Mm. or like walking into a room and suddenly there's a vibe, right? Or like a cold or a chill or some brujeria that someone put on there, like the little hairs in the back of your neck and like how the body responds. I think it's so interesting, especially walking around like my neighborhood now, there's so much history. It's like interesting to be part of that or to be building like like a new history, like yeah. in this every day, you know, that I walk these streets. It's a connection, um, it's a connection to history. Why don't we listen to um, Chawan's trailer for Are You There, Ghost? It's me, Chawan. Uh, so let's <laughs> let's play that. Maybe it's the fact that I grew up a pastor's kid. We're watching preachers trying to cast out demons from the possessed in Paraguay. Or maybe it's my family kept moving into haunted houses over and over again. But I've always known that there was a world beyond what we could see. Whether we call it spirit or angels or ghosts or simply the supernatural. My story begins when I am three seeing a woman sitting on the steps inside our house. And it continues to this day here in Pittsburgh, where my wife constantly asks, did you see that? My name is Chiwan Choi, and this is Are You There Ghost? It's me, Chiwan. Of course, the title is a take on one of the first books I ever read. I am a writer, and I will be speaking with other writers about their experiences with the beyond with the paranormal, and how those experiences have impacted their work. Because what are writers, if not ghost makers? So Carla, uh, are writers more attuned to ghosts than regular people? What a question. Uh, Writers do work with ghosts, with apparitions, with spirits, Um, you know, name it what you want, I think. But we're we're working with this elusive like memory and something we we got to dig. We got to excavate. So in a way, yeah, in my personal process. Yeah, I definitely think that I'm reaching into the past to like extract an, an image or a name or you know, something, uh, what's ephemeral, right? That's it. No, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Like I would say that writers are the most haunted people I know. Ooh, love that. Absolutely. Right? Cause there's like a topic or an idea or, you know, mm-hmm. something, a question that, you know, obsesses them. And I, I think that that's very true mm. for many writers. Right. Cause otherwise like, yeah. we don't do it for the money and we don't, you know, very few of us like break into like major dollars from writing. Um, yeah. 
we do it for the passion and for the love of it and for, you know, getting to tell a good story. And I think that ghosts are intimately related with all that, you know, like what exactly is a ghost and what do we mean by ghost? Right. And I think even just getting into the semantics of that is really fun Mm -hmm. because on one hand you have, you know, some kind of apparition, but on the other hand, like you said, a ghost can be another word for a memory. Right. Yeah. Another word for somebody that you miss. It it could be, Mm -hmm. you know, another word for who you used to be. Right. The ghost of myself. Yes. You hit the nail on the head. Absolutely. And I think Chiwan does such a good job. Like I was so impressed just from like this niche that he found Mm -hmm. um, of like writers, like interviewing writers about their ghosts. I I often think about moments in short stories or, you know, in films or in any narrative where a stranger um, changes the impact of a story, right? Someone finds something or encounters somebody or bumps into somebody or, you know, a stranger picks up something that you dropped um, and how that completely Mm -hmm. can change the course of what's happening. Um, And my favorite ghost stories are stories like that. And then it turns out it was a ghost that helped you right <laughs> um yeah uh you know or very much like la llorona well that's that's scary that's something classic cool. super yeah. scary that's scary but see ghosts maybe that's it ghosts were oftentimes used to terrify me um mm. and maybe that's a very mexican thing but it's just like la llorona is gonna get you and you're like oh no um and then you <laughs> see like someone with the right weepy you're like oh no <laughs> so <laughs> yeah that happened to my great grandfather it's like he saw la llorona on a dirt road after you know a night of drinking and womanizing and then because he saw like her skull face or like he was trying to hit on her like literally and la llorona like turned and showed her fucking like like eye sockets and that made him uh clean up and like (laughs) stop drinking stop womanizing stop terrorizing you know and i wrote about that actually and it had been um it had been a story that was passed down in my family and i needed to study it i needed to like I put myself in um, my tia's shoes, you know, and I and I was there and I could see everything so viscerally and like experience and like and and I've been to that dirt road in that um, in the ranch, that rancho, you know, Um, but did you get the shivers as you walked down it? Uh, no, <laughs> it, was, it was in the middle of the day, but it was like, yeah, ima- imagining like, yeah, like where your like ancestors or family or lovers or friends like in those places that, you know, we hold so dearly or we give them so much value and like we find that like we extract um, meaning, you know, I've been thinking a lot about like. No, but I, I mean, think, I think making I think there's something that's true to that. Right. Because like. I remember going back to, you know, Santander del Sur in Colombia with my mom and my mom saying to me, like, this is where our people came from, right? Like Mm -hmm. in the soil is the blood, Mm. you know, is our blood, the blood of those that came before you, you know? And yeah, sure. Like 
maybe the, that literal spot of like dirt is, you know, does not contain nutrients that contain my <laughs> DNA, but on some level, like the metaphor holds because you're like, Oh, this is the soil we toiled over. Right. Like, mm-hmm. This is where our sweat went into it. These are the lands that we fought for that, you know, during civil wars and during things like that, we defended with everything we had, our patrimony, our legacy. So, you know, it's hard to extricate uh, all of those ghosts, right? And all of those stories and all of that legacy from the object itself. And so um, in many ways, I think, yeah, you're absolutely right. Memory is a form of haunting and is is a type of ghost. Um, But it's so like, we can't, it's not tactile. Like we can't hold it. We can only attempt, you know, I think then that's what like Q1 is, is exploring, you know, with the most like open-minded like approach, which is what really just, impressed me just but i would i would say that just because it's not tangible like mm-hmm. you still get the escalofrios right like the chills oh yeah right? and the what do you call it when the little hairs stand up on their edge right oh. um you know and and that's a very visceral reaction to something that is utterly intangible mm-hmm. right it's like woo, i got the ghoulies mm-hmm. um, <laughs> all right well speaking of the ghoulies we're gonna listen um to chiwan read some poetry for us and then after that we're gonna get to this wonderful interview between yeah. you and chiwan Choi. Yay. so let's do it The trees blur outside the window as I rest my head against it. The numbers too, they fly by caught in midair like thoughts. One, eight, three, zero, five. Last minute goodbyes or until later. The galaxy in your cupped hands will, the galaxy in your cupped hands still less possible than the skin of your fingers. This summer without shirts, without God, making translucent with your sweat. What will we do now? What will we say? Some numbers caught in space, making rain footsteps, porch, free, 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 free. Each time I change, each time you leave under my window. There, hands clapping in the storm like peaches, like heart and concept. I count light posts in yellow houses as the song enters its third minute. For the next 10 seconds, there will be no words. In a yellow house, she listened to Mahalia Jackson while stitching zippers on the back of black skirts. She sometimes appears when I am straight, when I'm staring at the ceiling. Her face, it is full of curiosity. One day, she said, I will learn as you become. There's an image in my head of me lying on my back on the ground outside the World Trade Center. It's 1989, and Gary's telling us to do that and look up, that the building would look like it was going to fall on me. I remember visualizing it as he spoke. I remember lying there on the ground, but I can't ever remember what it is that I saw, what it was that took my breath away. Here is the world. Here is something else like a broken chopstick, a photo of him standing by a river, 
a satchel of arrows on his back, like a mountain crumbling of loneliness. They called it prison, but it was your skin. They called it progress while breaking your bones. You said blame, but it was your heart. I will call it today the seconds that I lose on your shoulders. I will call her mother who searches my face for her childhood. I will call it father, this body dissolving. Where were you Tuesday when I called your name? I held on to her arm before I knew to call it bridge. That was love in the front yard that she called opium. You called my name when I reached for the dirt. What is it that you imagined to hear at the end of knowing, at the cusp of happiness and belonging, God or something else invisible singing a hymn to your, you for once? with voices of strangers in unison, in longing, in something. This morning, you consider prayer because you remember your father can't properly tell you that he is dying. And how he, should, how he stood in the elevator across from you, trying to measure the end of this life by the number of blocks his legs can take him. And what came out were his arms toward you, like stumbling, his body moving toward you as if you were gravity and the laws contained. You were told when you first learned to want skin, to call him father, or the body that hovers near your familiar, whose name they said was mother, was shield, was home. Once again, you have been sidetracked by faith while trying to accept death. Come back. Here is the lesson about names, each one that your tongue learned to love, were your fingers wrapping around shadows that you knew would disappear with the light. It's winter, my skin tells me, and my heart, something about goodbye. What was it that you wanted for me to ask to be saved? Here is my name. Wolf, I was born to die, and I know you. It is you, Winter, and you are death. You are the white sheet co covering the woods. When you came for my life, did you know that I would become immortal the moment I learned my name? In the air, you can't breathe without shelter, without prison, without another kind of living. I am a shadow over broken terrain on surface like skin that taught itself to heal too much. On the 13th of this month, they will tell my father to split open his chest and pretend death isn't coming. And somewhere across this country, I will catch a moment where a yellow flower braces itself from winter by opening. Is it here, I ask the forest, where everything changes, where the light touches my heart, 
in the cold night shifting. And she said, open your mouth to what you know of as God. There are so many voices within you that want to be saved. Will you point me to the field, long browned and fleeting, covered in snow that will not stop, relentless in this need to be that field named Father? I can no longer trust how I remember his face or the texture of his palm when he gripped my wrists to steady. How do the memories of him and other bricks of my life fade before he, they, is, are gone? And the father asks, then how is it that you will recollect him? And I say, because I will never forget the sound his throat made when I caught him calling for home. Um, this was the hardest theme for me because when you're, um, you're when you immigrated to multiple countries and then you land in the U.S. and then you have religion and you have patriarch and all that stuff, you you don't even know what your culture is supposed to be. Um, anyways, my father walks me to Jesus. He says, "Listen to what he tells you," and I wet my pants but do as he says. He teaches me salvation only comes through pain. So I hammer at my bones in my sleep. The abductions then come until my language is lost. My mother tells me in silence, learn to dig the alien soil for sharp fragments of lives long gone and to carve into the surface of the world the thing inside that they try to take away. In this new world, she says, it's no longer a heart, it's called a poem, and you are arsenal buried for the ones to come. This is how you breathe, this is how you speak, this is how you break and become unstoppable. This is the same trumpet, the same piano, the same pitch of your voice. This is the same silence hidden in my whisper. This is loneliness. This is how much we don't care. The same curl of your elbow, the same loose hair on my sleeve. This is the same miracle that will kill us. This is the lamp of a night we can't weather. This is saying it out loud. The same confusion. This is the guitar, the same chords the same floor we sprawled upon, the same route we can no longer trace. This is my father, the same mother, the same eulogy, the same deflection. This is the quiet lunch with soup too hot, the same untrained eye, the same key. This, the skin before the touch from the tip of a tongue and the breeze carrying last night's rain through the rising sun. So for starters, you are a bi-coastal, well, like a lot of your bios and a lot of what I was reading had this word bi-coastal. I am now myself based in LA, but my heart is in Pittsburgh and the East Coast. That's something that I've struggled with 
a lot in in my writing life, in my personal life, just this duality. Where do I belong? Or like, who do I belong? Like, where is my community? Like, where are my, my people? And you said yeah. something interesting. Like, like, if you don't put in the work, and by the work, do you mean like community engagement? I know you're very active. In- yeah, and just, yeah, and just like, giving what you can even if it's just like literally hey can i show up at your event and like set up chairs for you like even something like that or just let me come to your event and just like fill a seat or applaud me or bring you a snack or even a simple thing like that you know it has community is an active thing and you have to stay active in it you can't just be pulling stuff out of it so it's like um yeah so when you're when you're not when you are not contributing as much as you used to whatever that used to be mm-hmm. it feels like oh i f- i'm i feel myself detaching eventually you definitely have to let go and um letting go seems to be a little bit of a theme in your work or like um mm-hmm. Yeah, like I got the sense of the letting go, but also the like the deep dive, the exploring, the holding up a mirror to yourself, to um, the context in which you live and like speaking. This is why I was having such a hard time, like coming up with like something to hone in on, because all of your work and the, the context of your real life from what I know it mm-hmm. all seems very interwoven to like moving around um and like the sense of home and the the structure of the home and like what the walls remember you know so like, right and what belongs like your your books and like the um the sensory aspects of of like belonging somewhere and then also feeling like an outsider and also just like all the contradictory feelings that that comes with that comes with that yeah 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 yeah. it's it's a straight interesting thing about being an immigrant is that yeah especially coming to this country especially Mm -hmm. uh, is there's this sense as an american you're supposed to want everything and you should have everything but as an immigrant, the first thing you learn is what do you absolutely have to keep with you? Because we're getting rid of everything before mm-hmm. we move. So you yeah. leave home, you're like, everybody pick one thing you absolutely have to have. <laughs> <laughs> you know, whether it's nostalgic, sentimental, emotional, like some sort of thing or an actual mm-hmm. necessary thing like, uh, you know, cash. We constantly program ourselves to be that way so i'm constantly thinking like what do Mm. i have to absolutely have and get rid of everything else yeah that's exactly you said like the magic word that i kind of wanted to pivot towards was like immigration and the immigrant experience it's not like your typical like coming of age or you know Mm. like it's not that immigrant story but which made me more curious about like just like yeah the heart the heartbreak of letting go and the heartbreak of not remembering exactly you know like exactly how that food smelled or tasted and then um is that kind of the the other theme in your work is like this like this ghostly this like ineffable this the thing that you can't grasp right um yeah is, yeah, yeah. Can you talk a little bit more about the the ghost 
concept and all the well not all but like yeah you know, yeah kind of <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean i think ultimately what i started believing thinking and believing was that the only there's like no there's no permanence right except the mm -hmm. thing that you carry internally Ooh, and it's yeah. only and it's only permanent it's not permanent permanent in the way we think that it's an it's a thing that is constant and unchanging because the internal stuff is constantly changing we remember it different we remember it for different reasons even we go from loving the thing we remember to hating the thing we remember i mean yeah. it's constantly changing inside us and so you know you bring up ghost and it's like the reason i started my podcast about ghosts also is it is like what if the only permanent thing we carry are are, are the ghosts right um, yeah and everything because everything else is te so temporary writing is yeah. temporary it's just like it's you know you write something it's done it's gone yeah <laughs> oh my goodness right um yeah it was it's uh i think a lot about how you know we were we are willing to erase our own names to come to this country to move to another Ooh. country like Ooh. by the by for the first time i i spelled my name out phonetically in english I, it was no longer me it was a whole different me because the name oh. had changed right oh. so it's like yeah and then people pronounce it differently so then it's like it's changing again so it's like i'm so far removed from yeah the me that existed so yeah. it's like yeah oh that's like heart-wrenching <laughs> because it's like so um in my personal experience like yeah something very similar um yeah. and and your book opens with a quote um i choose poetry over honesty then live this unremarkable life and that just hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, and it really made me question like, what is honesty? And if poetry yeah. is honest slash authentic, it's like where I yeah. can be my, my realest self. We get lost in the thing that we wrote to the mm -hmm. point where we confuse the, the thing in our writing as our authenticity mm, and then we start living we start trying to live up to it or live down to it depending on how you're writing and then it blurs that line um yeah, yeah it's a it's a and it's constant like back and forth um i try to tell students all the time like hate the most interesting and advantageous and dangerous part for you as a poet is that space between you, the poet, and the narrator. And you have Ooh. to learn to you have to learn to really do so much work between that space because so much happens there. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and we make so many decisions in that gap. Yeah, and I think we lose it sometimes. We lose, we lose perspective. We, we live in, you know, we get lost in the hype of our own work. You know, Ooh. we're like Ooh. those actors who 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 Ooh. get into a role, 
role and then they never get out. Like, I think we we play that role sometimes and it just, you know, mm-hmm. and sometimes harmlessly and a lot of times like detrimentally, you know? Um, yeah, totally. Was that, well, actually I'm going to pivot a little bit. I want to get into, I, I think before you started your podcast, are you there going? Yeah. Uh Um, I think I overheard you or perhaps like we were somewhere and you start or maybe even online, maybe Facebook, you were talking about literally seeing ghosts. Was that kind of like the the impetus of of the podcast? Um, I've been seeing ghosts since I was a little kid, like in Korea. Um, I had, I've, built up this theory that that ghost of this woman I used to see in my house in Korea when I was like two or three years old is a time traveling ghost from the future of the daughter we lost. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, yeah, yeah. And so, yeah. so it was like, oh yeah, it's the daughter who grew up in, in like yeah. I've made up this whole entire narrative in my head. Mm-hmm. But when um, I've been really interested in like ghost stuff like all my life, but during, when pandemic started, what happened was um, I w- paid for like a live stream from the house, from the Conjuring house. <laughs> like these mm-hmm. ghost hunting teams went to the house in the Conjuring the movies, and they were live streaming from there. And I was like, "Ooh, this is so cool! It's like perfect pandemic entertainment." <laughs> yeah. So I was like, "Man!" So on Facebook, I remember saying, "Hey guys, you want you want to like create a ghost hunting team called mm-hmm. Are you are, are you there, Ghost?" <laughs> and then I, I realized we probably won't go outside ever again. Yeah. <laughs> so I was like, "Let's just make it a podcast." <laughs> Was there any any particular moment um, in LA or an experience in LA that was like a haunting for you? Oh man, we've lived in multiple haunted houses in LA. Oh my, yeah, my parents are my whole family is like this. <laughs> okay. Where we lived in a house once near Griffith Park, mm-hmm. where my mom saw a Cadillac drive up from under the ground. What? This woman was driving a Cadillac from under the And then we got puppies after that. And the puppies was bark all night staring at that spot where my mom said she saw the Cadillac driving up from. Whoa. And I would hear people like laughing and having a party. Like when I'm laying in bed trying to sleep, I would just hear it. Wow. Nope. And yeah, that house was insane. And my the next morning, my dad goes, did you hear that? Right? <laughs> did you hear all that party last night? I was like, yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. That's terrifying. Yeah, so that was, yeah, that was one of those houses. <laughs> um, so, and correct me if this is wrong, but you were considering um Taylor Swift, like the phrase, the name as a possible yeah. title. For the yellow house. Yeah. Is, is that true? And like, how would it yeah. be like using. I actually told the name? publisher, I was like, yeah, I actually told the publisher, oh, yeah, my manuscript is called Taylor Swift. And he was like, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that later. Yeah. 
And so did you? You know, it's funny. I was thinking about it this morning. Oh, going, what? I wonder what would have happened if I had kept that as a title. Like, yeah. I would have written a totally different book. First of all, um, yeah. But, but like, what? How long did what's that title like a placeholder? The entire time I was working on the book until I was putting the book together. No way. Yeah. Because the yellow house is such an image throughout the book. There's like yeah. a... Yeah, I think it was, once again, it was like my way of not, of trying to explore through what I was writing without locking in on a, on a thing. Like, mm -hmm. I, I feel like if I had called the yellow house from the start, it might have overwhelmed it. Okay, interesting. Yeah. yeah. Man, yeah. titles are so hard. And But I love, like, okay, I'm kind of picturing the book as it is now with the title Taylor Swift without necessarily trying to think of, like, the legality of that. Um, yeah. And, like, how that would look maybe on a shelf or it would maybe, or would I, would I reach for it? And then if it had that title, like what kind of work the title is doing or how it's like helping those poems or like, co co like. Uh, yeah, I think I would have had to write a bunch of new segments to, mm -hmm. to pepper through the book to make mm -hmm. it cohesive. Mm -hmm. And also I think I would have hated it because it would have mm. become like a like a hip like a hipster tile for a book. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. We've touched a little bit on the fact that um, you use the conceit of a wolf a lot and the mythos mm -hmm. of the wolf learning its own name and then still dying, but now yeah. with like a, a new knowledge of its name. Yeah. And that that's just an incredible like um, lore to just have as the backdrop of your work. Um, yeah, and yeah, I think it I'm, goes back to yeah, it goes back to what I'm we really first jealous. started talking about. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> what we first started talking about about permanence and mm -hmm. like it was. It, I really started thinking about people like eternal search for eternal life, basically. Um, mm -hmm thinking that's what makes something permanent. And it's like, no, I think it's something about knowing something mm. intimately that makes it this permanent thing. Like even after mm. they're gone, after they're even after they're physically gone, there's this knowing of it that, that can't be taken away. And for me, it was, I, my name, my family chose to erase our names to move to this country. So what would it mean to get to a place where I learn my name again? Like, ooh, ooh, was, that yeah. the, was that ultimately the circle that we were supposed to create like yeah. that's the point we get to so yeah that's how yeah and it's been yeah. an interesting journey working on this new book and thinking about that a lot because um yeah like i i think we take for granted how much because we grow up get married have mm -hmm. successful careers and 
make friends mm-hmm. and lovers and all these things that we forget how much damage that those shifts yeah. when we were young caused mm-hmm. in us. Yeah, like the ripple effect. Yeah. I often um, think about like, who would I be if I never left Mexico? You know, or like, yeah. who would I be if my mom didn't cross the border? Um, yeah. Or like, who would I be if I felt comfortable with my native language? And like, what kind of poet mm-hmm. would I be? Would I still be a poet? Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. No, I, oh. I, I'm with you on that. I'm with you. Uh, on that. I don't like. <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's frustrating, but here we are, you know? And like, okay, yeah. universe, is this what you wanted, you know? Um, yeah. Um, and it's interesting, too, because, like, we learn and we unlearn, and it's never linear. And then we also were, I'm, I love the fact that we're not, we're not, like, the same person as we were yesterday. And so, yeah, like, this feeling of permanence. And then on top of that, like, the added layer of family and place and home and love. And you have a poem on YouTube called coming home yeah. in which you talk about um, your, your family life, your, your parents. And it's, I, I love like the tone of your work too. It's uh, I, there was a review online and um, somebody called it casually devastating. And that to me just like mm-hmm. is so real and so true. And I love the connotation of like casually and then like devastating is like, yeah, stab me in the heart, please chew on like, I need this book. Um, do you like that review of like that someone said casually devastating of your work? Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I don't think about it much, but I get it. And I think I was talking to somebody about this before, uh, not long ago, where a lot of the casual part came into mm-hmm. effect out of necessity because mm-hmm. I started writing poetry before I was very comfortable with English. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I don't have a big vocabulary. So I have to write whatever I'm writing with the basic language that mm-hmm. I know. Interesting. So yeah, everything was, I didn't know many adjectives. I didn't know many this. So it was like, I have to keep everything like really sparse and try to say what I need to say in, in the, with the few words that I know. And I think that habit stuck. Um, so, and one of the first things I learned is write so people don't mind listening to you. <laughs> like you're talking to them, you know? Yeah. It's not, you're, they're not reading your book in a classroom or in a research space. It's like they're they're listening to you because no, you're talking absolutely. to them. Yeah. And, uh, it was just necessity. And I kept it that way because it's, it's hard yeah. enough to trust yourself believe yourself mm-hmm. so when when you yourself don't believe the language like we can say that the work is conversational accessible minimalist but now that you're saying it's no it's survival and it, it was necessity yeah. that just puts yeah. a totally new spin on it and like that makes it even more like for me personally as as a reader just like just write 
in the heart, you know, and it, and it yeah. is a conversation. And I mean, yeah, sure. It is a conversation, of course, but. Like I was in, I was visiting a class at, at Pitt the other day and um, the professor was like, oh, this class is super shy and really not engaged and blah, blah, blah. And then we got it, there and we were talking yeah. and then we just like, as soon as I brought up like Taylor Swift and stuff, not, there were people <laughs> that just like all of a sudden woke up because it's yeah. like, oh, it's a, it's just a regular person. She, he's oh. This guy is just a regular person who happens to write poetry. So the oh. conversation became easier. So it's been interesting mm-hmm. whether mm-hmm. and my favorite, some of the, my favorite conversations at AWPs have been like people I've never met before coming up to me and wanting to talk about The Bachelor because I was tweeting ah, about The Bachelor yes. all the time. I'm like, yeah. yeah, this is more fun than talking about poetry because we're already like, <laughs> just take yeah. a break from it. Totally. Um, you know, as as a reader of poetry, a lover of poetry, um, I just want to say like people or like poets are people too. Yeah. So that's what I've been learning. And make t-shirts. Gonna... You'll make yeah. the killing with that shirt. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. That's actually not a bad idea. I love the yeah. way like your marketing brain works. Um, <laughs> I'm writing that down. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I have to remind myself, yeah, no, poets are people too. Um, but yeah, I would yeah. love to see you. I would love to hang out. Yeah, um, let's do it. Yes. Thank you so much again. And Thank you. Incredible. Carla, I have to say, one of the things that really struck me about your interview and that you know in some ways when we say like oh this house is haunted you know and there's there's clearly something here i I think what we're looking for is is the the buried story the thing the memory it can't let go um something the answer in a way yeah i mean that's almost like every other scary movie trope in a way but i also think right like when it comes to to art or writing or our process it is like we are digging i mean there's a reason that tropes hit the way that they do right yeah like i mean there's a reason that we have certain like structures that we expect it's not just like you know an archetypal structure at that point it's just straight up how we structure and tell stories but i'm thinking too like I mean, La Llorona, how like different regions in Mexico have their different versions of what La Llorona is, like how she died, how she murdered her kids, like how she haunts the river still and like how she will come back and and make her presence known, you know, so all these different versions. Oh, it's not even just limited to Mexico. I mean, yeah, oh, a, that's true. Actually. There's a Yorona in Spain. There's a version mm-hmm. of the uh, Yorona in Senegalese culture that is very different. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can even argue that the story of like Medea, right? Mm-hmm. Like Medea who kills her children or Madame Butterfly, Cho Cho San, mm-hmm. in some versions also like kills her children, right? Like there is this notion of, you know, this woman who is cursed by the fact that she mm-hmm. wants to spare her children pain. But I mean, you can argue that even that like beloved is a retelling of La Llorona, you know, because mm. it becomes about the choice that a mother must make and does right. she kill her child or does he, she let her child be sold back to slavery? Right. Right. Yeah. And so, um, you know, I think 
this is what's beautiful about certain stories, the way they transcend culture and the mm-hmm. way they transcend region and yet carry all of the local flavor uh, and all right. of the, you know, like La Llorona is a very Mexican story and Medea is, you know, a very Greek slash Phoenician story, right? Um, or Thebian, I don't know. Um, but you're looking here at, you know, at the parallels of something that I think has always happened, Right. Which is the right. notion of what happens when we push people mm-hmm. to an edge. Yeah. I'm thinking about like how Jiwan took his personal experiences and his personal life and then was driven or called to like naming a ghost. Right. So that was kind of his whole angle. Um, and then like the, the archetype of the wolf and like the, and I don't know if people got this from the interview, but he was talking about a wolf that finally gets to know its name, like names itself, and then therefore is no longer a ghost right. or is no longer haunting or and then but this needs to decide if he if the wolf is going to die or continue not knowing its name or existing. And it was a, such an interesting like landscape and such an interesting like mythology that it was, my brain was still trying to like grasp it, but either way, like I wanted to like exist in it and like figure it, it out. Um, and this is like, you know, uh, you know, an interesting transition from what we were just talking about, like the different mythologies and interpretations, but then creating your own um, to cope with a reality or to cope with a loss or grief in, in your own personal life. And then like to using that as um, yeah. the catalyst for your, for your work, you know, I mean, and like, that's just like, an, that's mind boggling. Yeah. That's like, it it is, it is wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I would say it's, it's something that I think is a tool for the writer. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think yeah. the way that, you know, Chiwan is able to use the things that he is haunted by and to also like, you know, in, in the sense of the wolf, be able to call on ancestry, call on mythology, um, call on, you know, a sort of different aspect of the self. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that there are parts of ourselves that if they were named would make us incredibly vulnerable. Um, you know, you know think- yeah. Yeah. I think that there are things that we all carry about ourselves that we're sort of mm-hmm. constantly trying to name, trying to process. And so I, I think that's very much in line with sort of this idea of, you know, what is the writer doing in their work? And I love it when there is a writer who says, you know, here's my like eight book plan. <laughs> and yeah. says, you know, here is this series that I am working on. And, and here are these thoughts and these motifs that percolate what I do. And so it allows something to go from being just a metaphor to becoming a full-on conceit that then can begin to define an oeuvre, um, you know, in a really fascinating way. And so it becomes an authorial question, you know, that you see like Choi pursuing in different avenues of his work, whether it is this podcast on ghosts or it is his own poetry, but you see a lot of the same questions percolating about immigration belonging. And, you know, what is a ghost of somebody who's not quite sure where they belong? You know, and I I once met someone who said to me, you know, home is where your people are buried. Mm, mm, mm -hmm. Where my grandparents are interred, there's only one cousin left who lives there. 
you know, if and when my cousin decides to leave or, you know, when time inevitably catches up with her, that my grandparents are interred in a place where they have no blood left alive. Mm. Yeah. It does make me question like, yeah, our attachment to place, but I think it is a really important, like those of us that are immigrants, you know, we, we were just brought to this new place. So we have this like, like attachment to place, like trying to make it make sense, you know, like, or trying to to make it our own or redefine it, like you said, or it's like a new thing, but that's maybe that's why we're so obsessed with place. Um, yeah. And, and you said something interesting. Sorry to like you, you yeah. mentioned, I think the word like multiverse or like the different version of, of yeah. yourself. Like, do you ever think about like, what if I never moved to the United States? Like, I think about that um, all the time. Like, what if like my mom wouldn't have met oh. my gringo dad and like we would have never moved and I would still exist or like, who would I be or that parallel universe? Sure. That, sure. That's a ghost that I need to grapple with, you know? But Mm -hmm. I I mean, I also think there's a usefulness to kind of going down the avenues of what if, and and at Mm -hmm. some point it's just not useful because you are the amalgam of the choices that you made. Yeah. So would you maybe, maybe of others decisions before you though too? Oh yeah. You're, I mean, you're the amalgam of every decision that culminated in your existence. Yeah, you know, and that's incredible. And it also makes you realize that, like, yeah, you, you know, it is what it is. So anyway, <laughs> on anyway, that note, on that note, um, let us let us boggle the mind. And then, hey, what's up? What are you reading? <laughs> Um, well, I just got back from AWP. Shout out to everybody that stopped by our booth, um, the Charla Cultural booth, yeah. and everyone that signed up for our newsletter and participated in our raffle. That's right. We um, had a t-shirt winner and a mug winner. Exciting times. I'm reading um, Mancho Alvarado's debut collection greyhound americans which i think will fit really nicely with some of the um concepts that we're talking about something else i want to break into is another debut collection anna portnoy brimmer to love an island i picked that up at awp as well and yeah incredible author incredible poet i'm so excited to um dive into this collection so that's what i'm reading what about you I am reading The Last Cuentista by Donna Barbara Igueda. I just, I, I'm not usually one to read middle grade. It's not really like where I am as a reader, but I saw that it won the Newberry and I saw that it won Pura Belpre Award and stuff. And so I was like, okay, you know, clearly, you know, this is something exciting. Um, and I just love that it was, you know, a book with a title in Spanish, but The Last Cuentista. And so I was like, oh, mm-hmm. okay, this is really fascinating. Um, and it's it's a really interesting book of fiction. It sort of imagines, you know, a future, let's say like a hundred years away, um, where, no, maybe like 40 years away, actually, where essentially we're about to be annihilated by Haley's Comet when it gets knocked off course. Ooh, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. And, and so they're picking the people that are going to be going on this shuttle and traveling 
for hundreds of years into the future to save humanity. Um, and this collective that wants to erase all history and start over without war, without conflict, without uh, cultural memory, without any ghosts at all. Oh, shit. Um, takes over the ship while all the experts and the citizens are sleeping. So when they wake up, um, their memories are wiped, except for this one character who remembers the stories of before. Mm. Uh, and so it's, it's about, you know, her and her figuring out what to do in this world that really wants to forget our entire wow. history and, and who we were. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I would, it's called the last Quintista and it is, I that sounds was, like something I would want to read in like a concept that's like beyond YA, but I I'm into it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, and like, Middle grade has that ability. There's tons of people that love books that are, mm. you know, written for children and that we hold dear to our heart. You know, mm. I, I certainly love me some like Lion, Witch in the Wardrobe and stuff. Like that. <laughs> and no, so, but it's, it's interesting how like even that that uh, conceit, you know, is like in the zeitgeist right now, like because we are kind of prepping for a eventual doomsday i feel yeah. like you know like in our lifetime we you know and you're talking about like oh well yeah, yeah. We've, we've, we've been doing that forever right oh, that's true <laughs> remember how the y2k was gonna kill us oh yeah and, yeah i remember that armageddon you know, or some bullshit yeah before that yeah, yeah. You know, we were in a war with the middle east it was the middle east that was gonna get us before that the uh, war. don't even talk about yeah this like the whole concept of nuclear and, annihilation you know like everything like we've been dealing with you know post-apocalyptic literature really you know since modernity because we're mm, in this place where we understood that we are absolutely capable of destroying ourselves. Yeah. And, and once that became a possibility, like once the concept of a bomb so large that it could destroy a civilization yeah. existed, we've never turned back. We're like, Oh, the apocalypse, clearly it's going to happen. Um, yeah. Because it's either going to be like a huge explosion or, I mean, we're slowly obviously killing ourselves, but this got real dark real quick oh no let's bring it <laughs> let's bring it back to poetry you know like, yeah, let's, yeah. Say, let's say t.s Eliot, right it's either gonna go out with a bang or a whimper so oh, um yeah. I, I go out with a bang and not yeah, a whimper. true yeah don't let <laughs> me whimper. suffer just yeah just be Here. that's kind of how i want to go too just like well, quick, quick i was i was famous. making like a bang joke but you mm. know <laughs> that too that too <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Right. but <laughs> I love but how I innocent you are, Carla. Um, <laughs> you don't hear the saucy things I say. Um, well, all right, well, this was this was so fun. Yeah, and, and know, I love the fact that I mean, it all kind of it, it does all boil back to ghosts and like the things that we're grappling with and coping with and like, huh? oh, holy shit! It's all about I'm, the spirit that moves you. Yeah, and that's what poetry is ah, <laughs> i love it welcome and to season two of yeah. charla cultural we got more ghosts than absolutely last <laughs> i love what chihuahua is doing i love our conversation and it's i'm good. i want to go yeah well, like a, dive a little, deep a little birdie told me that you're going to be on chihuahua's podcast so uh <laughs> we'll be excited to um let y'all know when that comes out too so follow us on instagram on twitter on uh the interwebs at large <laughs> all the things yeah the definitely things. sign up for oh. our listserv thingy yes all of the above. Um, <laughs> so I think on that note, 
Thank on you that for note. Us. Yeah, thanks for listening and Bye. Adios, nos vemos. Ciao, gracias. Asterix is a transnational feminist literary arts journal co-founded by Angie Cruz and Adriana E. Ramirez, committed to social justice and translation, placing women of color at the center of the conversation. City of Asylum builds a just community by protecting and celebrating creative free expression. Charla Cultural is hosted by Carla Lamb and Adriana E. Ramirez. Voice of Goddess is Alexis Jabour. Editorial support by Clarissa E. León. Production design and brand management by Little Owl Creative. Our theme song is Colombia Folk by Luis Alfonso. And thank you as always to our sponsors, Asterix Journal and City of Asylum.